podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference plus BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. We are the flagship show for the 1012 Network Plus partners with SportsDrink, your water cooler for all things sports and non-sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us today for a bonus episode or part two, a continuation of Thursday's episode. We are looking at the teams who had disappointing seasons in the Big 12 or in at least a case for one team, teams incoming. We picked six teams, and the interviews went so long that I had to break this out into two episodes. So, if you haven't yet, go back and listen to Thursday's episode. We talked about Oklahoma, West Virginia, and Houston. Today, I've got three great guests. Cody Nagel of GoPokes.com, 247Sports. He's going to talk about Oklahoma State. Matt Isbear of Between Two Bears, the Baylor podcast here in the 1012 Network is going to talk about Baylor and Levi Stevenson of Wide Right Natty Light here to talk about Iowa State. A lot of changes coming for some of these schools. A lot of changes already happening. Very, very busy December in the Big 12. A lot to get to, a lot to be excited about, and some things to be concerned about if you're fans of these teams. So, three great interviews today. You know what else is great? Is making a deposit and playing Daily Fantasy at Prize Picks. We've talked about Prize Picks, sponsored here on the show. Absolutely awesome. The great deal that they're offering still continues a 100% deposit match up to $100 when you use the promo code NETWORK12. Now look, college football, they've got bowl games going on. They're coming up soon, but they've got college basketball available right now. Look, any line I tell you today, is it going to be available tomorrow? Because they are day of, but they've got Cyhawk in here. They've got Jared Holmes over under 14 and a half points. They've got Caleb Grill over under one and a half assists. So all you have to do to play daily fantasy over unders, college basketball, NFL, soccer, college football, World Cup, still available in here, NHL, is download the Prize Picks app. Super easy to use. Make three to five picks and see if you can beat the odds. Promo code Network12 gets you a 100% Deposit match up to $100. So if you deposit a dollar, you get a dollar. If you deposit $100, they give you $100. Everything in between. It's fantastic. It's a ton of fun. Go give it a try. Thanks to Price Picks for continuing to be a sponsor here on the 1012 Podcast and for the entire 1012 Network. Like I said, three fantastic interviews, three great guests. If you haven't listened to yesterday's episode, go do so after you finish this one. Don't forget to listen to every show on the 1012 Network at 1012network.com, at 1012network on Twitter. We'll be back on Monday as well with Andy and Jamie. Let's get to it. For teams with disappointing seasons, it didn't seem like it was going to be one for the first half, but it certainly ended up as one. And it started off as a pretty rough offseason for them as well. We're talking about the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And joining us today from 247 Sports, Cody Nagel, who runs GoPokes.com, joining us. Cody, welcome back, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Definitely a, a lot going on and a lot of changes around here right now. It is a busy time for you. Look, it's busy for everybody, especially those who cover recruiting with the transfer portal open. But 
I mean, I don't think I've seen a team in the Big 12 with as much activity outside of Oklahoma as Oklahoma State. Second highest number of entries so far. And definitely some names you recognize. Spencer Sanders, uh, Braylon Presley, Trace Ford, uh, just to name a few. I, I know the season obviously ended in a disappointment. They're guaranteed another uh, winning season with seven wins in the regular season. Gundy streak continues. The bowl streak continues. We can talk about the bowl here in a minute, but what's the vibe in Stillwater right now with the way the season ended, the names you're seeing enter the transfer portal. It, I, the fans seem a little bit, uh, I don't want to call it chicken little, but it seems like the sky is falling in Stillwater. What is the vibe there in Stillwater around the program? Yeah, it's it's definitely not great right now. Um, you know, I think there's people that are trying to, I mean, there's some people right now that are panicking, I think, um, but there's some others that, you know, transfers are, they're going to happen now in college football. Every program's going to have them, um, you know, especially when you have kind of a down year, people want to go, you know, see what other opportunities are out there. Um, and, you know, uh, most of these transfers aren't really surprising in my opinion. Um, so like, I mean, we, you could kind of see them coming and they all kind of make sense. Um, now the, the Braylon Presley one, that's one that I'm sure we'll get into, but that one's probably the, the most shocking and you know Spencer leaving um you know he's put in his, his five years here um just looking for another opportunity um but yeah there's there's definitely a mix of people panicking and then also people that are you know the the stadium's not on fire right now you know this this happens to every program you know attrition's going to happen every year so definitely definitely a mix right now well, let's let's talk about Braylon. He he spoke with the Tulsa World, and they wrote an article about him transferring, and had some pretty, I would say, harsh commentary about the Oklahoma State offense uh, and its usage of both him and running backs in the run game. And this was, ob- I would argue, even including the 2014 run game, which was Mike Yersich. I don't know. Or no, 2015. That would be the year where he literally MacGyvered together a run game with J.W. Walsh and some sticks and glue. I mean. This is arguably the worst run game Oklahoma State has had during the Mike Gundy era. I mean, I know those are harsh criticisms, and they're coming from a freshman who was obviously unhappy with his usage. But but how fair do you believe the the criticism from Braylon was in that article? Yeah, I mean, I think it was fair because when they keep telling them, you know, us reporters every week, you know, oh, we we don't really know what the problems are. We we're trying to fix it. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. Keep doing what we're doing, and you know, hope it gets better you've got one of your best freshman players out there, you know, one of the best, I mean, he was what the, was he two time Gatorade player of the year in the state or was it just one time? I think it was just yeah, one. At least one. Yeah. So you got one of the best players in the state sitting on the roster, barely getting used, throw him out there. What's the worst that's going to happen? I don't think it was going to get any worse as far as the run game, you know, put him in the backfield, see what happens. And I know people can make the argument that the, that the offensive line wasn't, you know, protecting it all. And there wouldn't have been any holes for him to, you know, to run through, but, you know, Braylon proved in high school that he can make his own space, uh, create his own space um, and, and get downfield. So, you know, I think, you know, I think that's where his frustrations were that, you know, put me out there and let me try doing my thing. Um, You know, I know he's listed or was listed as a receiver on the roster, but, you know, you go back to who recruited him. It was both Casey Dunn. And Wozniak, the the running backs coach, so that kind of leads me to believe that they wanted him as a legit, or were at least recruiting him as a legit athlete that could line up at receiver, line up at running back. And when he gets here and he's just lining up at receiver, you know, a few plays a game, not getting much, you know, field time, 
I think that's where his frustration started to grow. And eventually he kind of just, just had enough of it and decided to go look somewhere else. You mentioned it. Transfers happen all the time. And we understand that's part of college football and, and transfers in general. That's okay. Do you think that the transfer exits are done for Oklahoma State, or is there something to continue to keep an eye on there? Um, I mean, I, th- I think you'll see a few more. Um, I'm I'm not sure they're going to be big names necessarily. You'd think, you know, the the big guys that are going to get attention would want to get into the portal as soon as possible. Um, you know, the, this window lasts until, I believe it's January 18th. Um, then I think there's another one in the spring sometime too. So, you know, the, the big names are going to want to enter right away. Um, you know, maybe after the bowl game, there'll be a few more that kind of realize, you know, depth chart wise where they stand, you know, once they bring in some, some transfers to, you know, where they stand in that, at, the, at that position as well. Um, but then there's always a, a few in the spring too, you know, once guys get through spring practice and, and again, realize, you know, where they're at on the depth chart and stuff like that. So you know, I don't think they're done right now. I think they're sitting at, what is it, 11 or 12 right now, maybe. Um, I think they had 15 last year. So you know, you'd think you'd probably have a, a few more at least. So, yeah, it, it kind of feels like things might get a little worse before they get any better right now. Obviously, Oklahoma State is preparing for a bowl game. They'll be headed out to Phoenix for the Guaranteed Rate Bowl against a Wisconsin team who's going through a coaching change and having some transfers of their own. Not sure who's playing quarterback for either team at this point with both starting quarterbacks in the portal. This Usually, I mean, Oklahoma State, Bowl games matter. Gundy had, had had fought before about bowl banners. This is a one of the is this the sixth longest active streets, fifth or sixth current longest active bowl streak in the country. Um, but it does feel a bit different this year. It, it's it because the season ended disappointingly because it went the way it did. How is the team kind of thinking about this bowl game? Is there excitement about it? Do the fans seem excited, or is this is this an opportunity they're taking advantage of, or is this just we're just going to go to a bowl game this year? You know, I think the bowl game is kind of one of the last things on the minds of, of everyone down here right now, but obviously it's something we have, we have to talk about and it's coming up, but um, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to, to think about, you know, with all these changes and all these guys that are leaving, you know, who lines up at quarterback for Oklahoma state and, you know, who are these, some of these younger guys that are on the roster that, you know, might get some more playing time and, you know, who are some additional guys that, you know, as far as super seniors, was that going to be their last game? You know, I think of guys like Jason Taylor, um, you know, I think, in my opinion, I think he's, you know, probably heading to the NFL draft. Um, you know, you never know with some of those guys, they kind of get some grades back and maybe they don't, you know, grade out as high as what they thought and maybe they decide to come back. Um, so, yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be interesting to see. Um, yeah, I think matchup-wise it's kind of interesting. You know, a Big Ten West team, um, definitely a completely different style of football up there than, than what they play in the Big 12, um, Wisconsin, Wisconsin especially. Um, you know, their, their defense is still pretty good, um, which probably isn't a, a good sign for Oklahoma State and their offense that has been pretty bad the last month of the regular season. So, yeah, definitely an interesting matchup. And, you know, you, know, you mentioned the, the success that Gundy has in bowl games. Um, you know, he always seems to, you know, whatever guys he has left on the roster um, seems to go out there and, you know, put together a decent performance. I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't expect, you know, Oklahoma State to show up there and get you know, blown out or anything because, you know, Wisconsin's going through their plenty of their changes as well. Yeah. Hammer the under on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Luke Fickle, the new hire for Wisconsin will actually be coaching that game, which is going to be really interesting. I'm not used to seeing the newly hired head coach coaching the bowl game, but that should be fun to watch. Um, as far as the transfer portal, 
Oklahoma State, as of now, has already landed a linebacker uh, out of Tulsa, which is a big thing for them, especially after losing Mason Cobb, uh, their star linebacker and their lead tackler this year. I would assume Oklahoma State, despite some of Gundy's comments regarding the portal, will be hitting the portal fairly hard. Where are the areas you see specifically that that OSU is going to really be targeting in the portal this offseason? Well, yeah, getting the linebacker was big. I mean, that pretty much fills... Um, Mason Cobb's sp- spot there in the middle. Um, you know, Xavier Benson, we're still not really sure if he's going to come back for another year or not. You know, he walked for senior day. Um, he still has one more year of eligibility. Um, so, you know, that, those could be the two starters next year. But, you know, getting getting a proven linebacker, um, that was big. Um, but just kind of looking at some of the other, you know, offers that they put out, offensive line is going to be, a, uh, you know, a major concern or emphasis, I guess, um, defensive line as well. You know, I think about all the, the veteran guys that they're going to lose up front there, um, you know, both on the edge and, and in the interior too. Um, you know, and, and now wide receivers kind of become a, a concern as well. Um, you know, with, with Braylon leaving, Langston leaving, um, you know, the, the depth's kind of kind of getting short there. You know, they've, they've got plenty of, of talented guys there. I don't think talent is an issue, but, you know, we've seen when two or three of those guys go down, um, they're kind of struggling to <clears throat> to practice with guys, so um, yeah, that'll that'll definitely you know a, p- a position to watch. And, and and now running back, you know, with the news coming out today that that CJ Brown's no longer with the program, you know, that kind of takes it. And Dominic Richardson leaving as well, um, you know, that that position group's kind of getting thin. So yeah, there's positions all over the the field that you know Oklahoma State's going to have to address. And it is kind of funny that you know you think back to earlier in this year when. Gundy gets asked about the portal and, you know, he's not a big portal guy that he'd rather, you know, develop some of the guys they have. But when you have as many guys leaving as, as Oklahoma state does, and you don't have necessarily the, you know, young talent on the roster to, you know, fill those spots next year, um, they're going to have to go out and get some guys for sure. Speaking of positions, obviously Spencer Sanders is gone. He's been the guy for Oklahoma state for four Years now, it feels like a very long time. We've seen Garrett Rangel get a couple of starts this year. Uh, the uh, the true freshman, Gunner uh, Gundy's son, redshirt freshman. He's he's on the roster as well. That's pretty much it outside of some walk-ons. I, I know they've got a quarterback in Zane Flores from Nebraska coming in as well. Do you? There are plenty of talented quarterbacks out there in the transfer portal. I mean, that that's been some of the biggest names. There's a lot of them. Is that something that you think OSU will try and do? Is bring in a big name quarterback, maybe to fill in a stopgap, or are they going to lean on the guys and develop them that they already have on the roster? Yeah, if it was if it was up to me, I would say go after a quarterback. Um, I think you know, and this is where the Gundy's comments kind of come into play as far as not being a big portal guy. He's got young quarterbacks on the roster that he can develop, and do you bring in a transfer guy and start them for a year and allow these guys, you know, more practice reps, or do you throw them out there in real game situations and just kind of let them learn on the run? I think that's kind of the the question that we need to, or that they need to answer. Um, you know, if they do go out and, and get a quarterback, I think the the number one guy on, on my list at least would be Hudson card uh, from Texas. I think he'll obviously be on a, on a lot of, you know, people's, um, you know, big boards or whatnot, but, um, you, know, you know, Oklahoma State recruited him out of high school. Um, he had an Oklahoma State offer. Um, so I think that would be an interesting name to watch. Um, you know, he, he's familiar with the conference. You know, he's played, you know, in a bunch of games down there, a few games down there for Texas. So 
you know, if he if he came up here, he'd be, be familiar with the defenses and stuff like that. So I think that would be a name to watch um, for, for sure. Uh, yeah, keep an eye on Oregon there as well. Yeah. His former high school offensive coordinator, now the offensive coordinator at, at Oregon after a stop at UTSA. That's, a, that's one that's getting some buzz. We talked a lot about players. It's been a rough couple of years at a few position groups, one would argue, at Oklahoma State. Uh, the rumblings feel like there might be some coaching changes coming. And after a season that ended as disappointingly as this one, it's it's hard not to see that. Um without having to name any names in particular, I mean, if, if you were talking to Gundy and, and, and he asked your opinion, I mean, where, where do you think some changes might be coming? Yeah, I think it's got to be the offensive line. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's the position group that struggled the most, um, you know, whether it's performance on the field, whether it's, you know, injuries or recruiting. Um, I think that's the, the position that needs to be addressed. Um you know, there's some others as well. You know, you think about running backs and kind of the issues they've had there in the run game. Um, you know, maybe those are kind of the two positions that are coaching positions that Gunny takes a look at and, you know, tries and tries to figure out if, if he can upgrade there. Um, you know, honestly, I think the, the whole offensive staff could, you know, could get shaken up. You know, if this, the offense hasn't been great for the past four, three, four seasons, um, you know, 20, Whatever year, uh, I'm blanking on his name now. Who was the the senior walk on guy? Cornelius. Oh, Jeez. Um, yeah. Corn, yeah. Corn dog. Yeah. Corn dog. Can't believe I forgot his name there. But yeah. Since <laughs> then, it's been you know pretty much just not what ex or not meeting expectations. Um, so you know, I think the the whole offensive staff is you know something that could be looked at. Um, you know, Casey Dunn's the longest tenured assistant that Gundy has on, on the staff. Um, you know, I think it would be hard to to part ways with him, you know, especially because of how good of a coach he is with receivers and how he can recruit those guys and, you know, can identify talent there. Um, so, yeah, I think definitely a lot of things to, to watch in the coming weeks and, and maybe even after the bowl game. Yeah, Gundy's history of – Gundy doesn't fire a lot of uh, of coaches on his team. He, he likes to keep – consistency on staff um typically when we've seen changes they've been post bowl game or all the way down into to february after that second signing period before spring brawl gets gets underway i i mean look i osu fans are feeling a little bit a little bit crazy right now i mean you're coming off of an appearance the big 12 title game and then one year later to down year but we've seen gundy bounce back before we remember 2014 you know just getting to that sixth win getting to a bowl win, and then we had the nice run of three straight 10-win seasons. Does this does this feel like an Oklahoma State program that can that can bounce back fairly quickly? Or is this an OSU program that's struggling in a – I mean, let's be honest. It's a, it's a new modern college football with the transfer portal, uh, with the ability to transfer once without any issues, and with NIL and, and, and the importance of, of it in college football. Yeah, I think this is, this is completely different than, than 2014. Um, just because of, like you said, how much the college football landscape has changed, um, you know, with with the NIL, with the you know all the transfer stuff. Um, this is, I think we talked about this before we we started recording, but this is the most important off season for Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State football. You know, if they don't get stuff figured out and turned around, um, you know, I think it could start to go downhill pretty quick. You know, I know people don't like to hear that, but I'm just trying to be honest that, you know, it's it's things are close to, you know, 
kind of blown up here to so to speak but um yeah it'll it'll definitely be interesting um like you said the, the most important offseason for sure for for oklahoma state uh, i believe the end comes quickly for most of us um cody are you going to be heading out to phoenix for for the guaranteed rate bowl still not sure yet uh trying to figure that out um you know it's kind of if it was the the fiesta bowl it'd be a for sure yes um but with it being <laughs> a, a lower bowl game we're not sure if we want to you know spend the money to to go out there but we'll see uh, I know you're a busy guy, so I really do appreciate your time. Lots going on. I, I feel like while we've been talking, there's probably been some more breaking news. <laughs> probably. Oklahoma State and its roster. So uh, do me a favor for everybody who is an Oklahoma State fan or just a Big 12 in general and wants to keep up with what's going on in Stillwater. I'm sure they have a lot of questions. Uh, where can they find all your work? Yeah, you can go to gopokes247.com uh, or follow me at Cody Nagel 247 on Twitter. Cody, again, appreciate it, man. Hope to have you on again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, this is Jamie Steyer-Johnson, host of the Cyclone Family Podcast. I host a show with my brother, Eric Steyer, and the two of us were raised in the ISU Athletic Department, as my mom has coached women's basketball for over 20 years. Our involvement didn't stop there, and I've been a radio analyst for Cyclone Women's Basketball since 2019, and Eric spent his 2018 to 2022 years as a walk-on on the men's side. We get together each week to talk about what's happening in the world of Cyclone sports, whether that be current seasons, former players, or whatever else we find to be of interest. We'd love to have you join us. The Cyclone Family Podcast. When you listen, your family. Do you think Olive Garden can sue me for that? I don't think there's any team in the Big 12 who's seen a bigger dip over the last two years than the Iowa State Cyclones. So it's not terribly surprising after the worst season, one would argue, for Matt Campbell in Ames this past year to see him already making some changes to his staff. Uh, to break those down and talk about what else is going to go on in Ames potentially this summer to try and turn things around. Our good friend Levi Stevenson of Wide Right Natty Light is back for goodness, Levi. It's been a long time since you've been on the show. I don't know how that happened. Uh, welcome back, man. Thank you for having me back. I was wondering if you like were just like you just found some new Iowa State person to talk to, and I was just kind of old old news now or what? But well, no, you guys were good for a year, and then you weren't good, so I didn't have to talk. Oh, about so I was saying, well, I was wasn't good enough to do it to bring me on. It's it's Matt Campbell's fault that we have not had Levi on the show in a while. That's, That's fair. That's fair. Just one more thing to lay at the feet of of Matt Campbell. I mean, I don't know. I mean, what I think a dickhead. It's, it's been very successful. You know, just like special teams. Uh, Levi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, I think disappointing is an understatement for what happened in Ames this season. Uh, despite having arguably the best defense in the Big 12 and a top 10 defense in the country. I, well, was well, I don't even think it was arguably the best no, defense it, in the Big 12. I think it was head and shoulders, the best team, best defense in the Big 12. And I think I saw some, I thought I saw some metrics that it was basically like, uh, it was Iowa, Iowa State, and like I think maybe Alabama or somebody that had like those were the clear three best defenses in college football. And then it was there's a little gap before you got to everybody else type of thing. Like, I'll take your word on. I, I'm look, they were top ten. Period. I mean, oh, all easy. the stuff oh, that easy. I would see from no stop question. rate to FEI, everything is. They were a top ten defense in the country. No question. And no question. So that has to tell you how bad the offense and special teams were to take a situation like that and to finish with just. Four wins, which is really surprising given you know the three and zero start non conference, finally beating Iowa. So this, it's the uh, it's the Thanos meme of what what uh, did you do it? Yes, what what did it take? It what did it cost you? Yeah, we had uh, it. the Big Twelve. Matt Campbell had to become Kirk Ferentz. Campbell had to become <laughs> Kirk Ferentz to beat Kirk Ferentz. <laughs> 
the true the truest the truest uh manifestation of the fact that the only the only the only person like there's nobody better at beating Iowa than Iowa <laughs> and uh, we had to be we had to become Iowa to beat Iowa <laughs> Uh, so we've already we've already seen changes come in <laughs> the strength and conditioning coach is out, yep. offensive line coach is out, uh, Tom Manning, offensive coordinator, uh, is gone. Uh, in his stead, uh, internal promotion, uh, Nate Shieldhouse, uh, Duhostovich, is just Shieldhouse. See, Shieldhouse. I'm just. How can you? Na- yeah, there we go. Uh, that's gonna be a thing, and I'm gonna love it. Uh, he's been on the staff since 2018. He is now the offensive coordinator. I mean, let's start with him. I mean. This is a change at OC, but it's promoting a guy from within. It's not bringing somebody from without who would have their own ideas or ways of doing things. How much do you expect the offense to actually change as far as the game plan, the style, the way that Iowa State plays offense? Well, I don't think you're going to see like a dramatic fundamental change. Like I don't think I was. I don't think Iowa State is going to magically become some air raid team or anything like that. I don't think that's going to happen. They're not, they're not going to go triple option and they're not going to go air raid. It's going to probably, they're going to still work on the same general principles. It's going to be power running um, and it's going to be controlling the clock. It'd be an efficient passing game, um, whatever that happens to look like. Um, and just trying and just, you know, they're going to, the same, the same principles will be there. However, I would, I don't know. I see, I say, I think, I say, I'm going to say it's safe to assume that we can probably expect at least somewhat more creative play calling and more aggressive play call, play calling with Shilhas uh, at the helm. Now, well, and, and part of the reason too is because, you know, both, both Nate Shilhas and Tom Manning played college football. Tom Manning was an offensive lineman at a D3 school. Nate Shilhas was a pretty, pretty electric dual threat quarterback at the power five level. And you, so you just, the way those two guys played, like the two, the style of play those guys play when they were in college leads me to believe that Shilhas leans towards a more exciting brand of football um, than Tom Manning would. Um, now that's, you know, how much evidence that actually is. I have no idea. Maybe, and, and maybe we're all, you know, we're all looking at this with rose colored glasses thinking like, well, it can't get more boring and uncreative than Tom Manning. So it has to be go up, which is maybe true um, to at least in the red zone and stuff like that. To his credit, Tom Manning was actually a, a, a he he did draw up some fairly creative play designs uh, to be used, you know, in the middle of the field. Sometimes he didn't call them at the right times, but so the play designs themselves were actually pretty, pretty, uh, pretty intelligent. Uh, but I think we can expect a little bit more uh, of an aggressive offensive, a little bit more creative, especially in the clutch moments, because you know, offensive coordinators they make their money in in situational play calling and red zone play calling. What are you doing on third and two versus what are you doing on third and five? What are you doing on the 17 yard line when it's third and two? Or what are you doing on the, what are you doing on the 10 yard line when it's third, when it's, when it's third and ten, ten, third and goal or something like that? You know, that those types of situations are where offensive coordinators make their money. It's, you know, pretty much anybody at the, at the, at the college football level, anyone that's, that's a coordinator in college football can probably handle and they can call an offense between the twenties or between the thirties. That's not that like that's not the hard part of the job for those people. The hard part of the job is red zone play calling and situ- and third down and fourth down play calling. Um, that's where you make your money, and that's where we're gonna find out if Nate Shield Haas is truly an improvement over Tom Manning. Um, you like to think that they can they he can take a step up in that, um, but we're gonna see. We'll have to see what goes on. But I, I do think 
that was Shielhouse was something that we had we had talked about on our podcast for probably a couple of years now. Is like if you're going to get rid of Tom Manning, promote Nate Shielhouse, promote him in there. I think that he's going to be a good fit. Um, we talked about him for a while, and there was a uh, there was a stretch there for a little bit last week where we thought they might be bringing out might be bringing in an outside hire, but it was kind of it became apparent that that was probably not going to be the case when they named after Tom Manning was let go, they named Nate Shielhouse the interim offensive coordinator which for a, a team that's not playing any more games in the season, not till next August, there's no reason <laughs> at all to name an interim an offensive coordinator, which means, which leads me to believe that, that he was, if he didn't already 100% have the job at that point, he probably was 95% had the job at that point. Um, so I think, I think it's a good hire. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for what Nate, what Nate Shilhas can do with the offense. We'll just have to see. And, and, and truly, and a lot of his success is going to be dependent on the offensive line and what they do there. Because the offensive line by far was the biggest weak spot of the entire offense. Like, no question about it. The running backs sometimes didn't do their part very well. Like, they didn't see holes where it was. Hunter Deckers threw some bad interceptions at times and sometimes made some mind-blowing plays. But all of those were exasperated by the fact that the offensive line was absolute dog shit. Well, let's, let's go there. Because, I mean... Offensive line has been a struggle for Matt Campbell in in Ames his entire time. You, you easily, twenty twenty would be the exception. They were pretty. Which, they were actually pretty solid in twenty twenty. And every everything for Iowa State was pretty solid in twenty twenty. And yeah, and, and yep. I do think that they were good. But I think we could take some other things into that. But other side of that, it, it has been a struggle for an offense that wants to play the style as it does. You would expect to have a good offensive line play. Um, that yep. is a what is the thought process on, on who we might be seeing there or when we might hear a name? But I mean, that is a, a hire that absolutely is important. And I, Oh, they got to nail think, this one. Yes. No, no doubt. Yes. They got to nail it. Um, I think, I mean, like I said, they, they've got to absolutely nail this hire because if they don't and the strength and conditioning, if they don't, if they don't nail the strength and conditioning in the offensive line staff, they're going to be like, we're going to continue to have issues for a long time. And, and, it's going to be issues at a core position that you have to have right. If you want to have a shot of competing for a big 12 title or something like that, you have to have your offensive line in order, at least to some degree. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be decent at least. It doesn't have to be an, it has to be at least a net neutral. It can't, it can't be a net negative. Uh, and if you hope to compete at the top of the conference. Um, and, you know, I, I do think they've got, I think they've got some guys in that room that can, that can do it. But if you watch, I would say play the one there, the technique is great, but really more than anything, sometimes the, the effort level isn't always there. And the, um, and just the, the general, just the, you know, offensive linemen in a, in a power scheme, they need to kind of have a, they need to go out there kind of with a bad attitude be ready to push some dudes around. Like, I, and I would say it's kind of the offensive line has been soft just to be blunt about it. I mean, they, they were soft. Um, they got pushed around a lot, even by even by clearly inferior teams. Um, they got the offensive line got pushed around, and I don't think it was because of lack. I don't think it's because they weren't strong, or it wasn't because they didn't have like the the raw talent to do it. Um, they just the, the technique wasn't quite right there. Um, but also, I mean, at certain point, you got to you got to have a a little bit of a mean streak out there if you're going to try to play power football. And I would say doesn't doesn't have or didn't or doesn't have that uh, right now. And that's that's that comes both from your strength and conditioning coach and from your offensive line coach is teaching them the energy. And I mean, part you, some, there's a, and there's kind of two sides to that coin where you can say, well, you can't teach effort and enthusiasm, but you kind of can, 
um, a little bit. You can teach, you can be a motivator. You can absolutely teach. You can actually absolutely be a motivator and motivate people to work and practice and play with energy and enthusiasm. You can absolutely encourage that. You, you can try to bring that out of people. That's what, that's what good leaders do is they bring the, they try to bring the best out of people and they try to motivate them in whatever way that person needs to be motivated. Um, um, not that I'm trying to turn this into a leadership seminar, but, um, <laughs> you know, this is uh, a leadership seminar. Um, you know, I, but it's, it's one of those, I think they've got to nail these because the strength and conditioning, I think is it's better than it was because it's kind of gone in a couple stages here where, you know, they played Notre Dame in the camping world bowl in 2019. They got their ass kicked. I mean, they just got pushed all over the field. Granted, Notre Dame's offensive line is and defensive lines are routinely phenomenal. They're their 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 strength and conditioning is outstanding. I mean, they they're they are regularly the best line in college football, offensive line in college football, hands down. Just no matter no matter if Notre Dame itself is actually good, if the team is actually good, the offensive line is almost always really good. And they almost always have at least a few couple of like future Hall of Famers on that line. Um and they got pushed around all over the place. And right immediately after that, we said, okay, we're clearly lacking in strength and conditioning. So they, they get rid of Rudy Wade, hire Dave Andrews. They take a jump up. It's better. 2020, well, 2020 was obviously better. You see a nice little jump up there. Um, but eventually, whatever Dave Andrews was, was doing, plateaued. And from what I understand was maybe there was some difference in kind of philosophy between Dave Andrews and, my, and Matt Campbell as far as just how they wanted to approach strength and conditioning. Because then if you look at like this season, um, Mike, like, or if you like, look at last season too, Mike Rose gained a bunch of weight and lost some of his sideline to sideline speed. And that, that was one of his best, his best attributes is he was all over the place. Everywhere you wanted him to be, Mike Rose was there. He put on more weight, um, like muscle. He put on a bunch of muscle and lost some of that. Orion Vance, the middle linebacker, played this season at 260 pounds. That's a huge middle linebacker. I mean, like Phil, quick exercise here. So, like, think of like just NFL guys, so they're a little bit more like well known. If you think of a big middle linebacker, who do you think of? Like, the, who's the first cut? Like, who's the first person or two you think of? When you think of a big middle linebacker, I, I active, active, or, active or retired? I don't. I don't. No, okay. I don't. The first person I think of when I think of like who do I think of a big beefy middle linebacker? I think of Ray Lewis. That's the first guy I think of. It was like that dude was humongous. He played at two forty. Orion Vance played at 260 this year, a whole ass 20 pounds heavier than Ray Lewis during his prime. It's a beefy boy, a beefy boy. He's a beefy boy. Now, granted, Orion Vance was an outstanding run, was an outstanding run defender this year, yeah. and in a good pass rusher, absolutely, no doubt. But he struggled in pass coverage because he was 260 pounds as a middle linebacker in the Big 12. A bad idea. Well, I don't know why they did that. Um, and you know, in a few other places too where people gain like there was weird weight gains and weight losses and things like that that just didn't make a lot of sense because i think the main the the philosophy where there was was if you put more muscle on you're a little bit more protected from injuries well that didn't that didn't happen you had guys that were slow and you still had plenty of muscle muscle injuries you still had plenty of tissue injuries um through the season cartavius norton had a hammy or a quad injury early in the season and didn't get better till like week seven or something like that like granted hamstrings can take a while to heal but you still like should it should he should be ready to do something before week seven, uh, if you put it, like at the beginning of training camp or something like that. Um, that's that's a that's a strength and conditioning issue is injury prevention and recovery. And if 
you have guys that are getting lots and lots of muscle injuries, you know, that's, that's a, that's a red flag. You know, you, it's hard to control dislocated shoulders and, and knee injuries and so like that. It's, it's hard to control that type of stuff. Cause a lot of those are just like one-time impact. That's what it is. Pulling a muscle or, you know, uh, muscle strains and pulls and, and tears or whatever it is. A lot of times that can, a lot of times that can be mitigated or prevented entirely with proper injury prevention, uh, tech, you know, uh, plan from their strength and condition coach. It absolutely can be mitigated. And it wasn't. Agreed. Shilhas also was the run game coordinator, running back coach and wide receiver coach this past yeah. year. Now as OC, I would assume he will, pass some of those responsibilities off to some other hire that will be made. Uh, he is, he is remaining as the wide receivers coach and the offensive coordinator. Okay. Um, and then, so they are going to fill the running back role. I've, I don't know. There's been a couple, there's been like an name or two that have been kind of floating around, but nothing with like enough substance that I'm going to like report on it or anything like that. Um, but there's been a couple names that one of them was kind of a weird choice, but whatever, you know, I'll, I'll wait to pass judgment until a name actually comes down. Looking at the roster, Iowa State's going to lose quite a bit this season, it feels like. Uh, a lot of impact players, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Where do you see Iowa State and the transfer portal? As far as how much do you think that, uh, that Campbell will utilize it as far as filling holes this offseason? And, and where do you see the biggest holes they need to fill utilizing the transfer portal? Um, I mean, I think they'll be fairly active. I know they're gonna. I know they're going at looking at a couple receivers, uh, specifically Arlen Bruce and Keegan Johnson, both from Iowa. Um, I know they're looking at both of those, and they've looked. Why at would a few you play ones. a wide receiver at the University of Iowa? I don't. I have no idea what the draw could possibly be to play a receiver at Iowa, but Cash whatever. Um, yeah, I guess whatever. I mean, whatever. Um, just ruin your entire all of your pro prospects at one time if you want. I guess whatever you whatever you feel like. But they're looking at a couple of receivers. They're looking at receivers, which they need. The wide receiver depth is not it, like it's it's all young depth. Like there is there is definitely talent in the wide receiver room, but it's just it's just really young, and it just hasn't played hardly at all. Um, you'd like to see some veterans in there. I know they've been going after some linebackers to replace Colby Reader and things like that. They've been looking at some like uh, the Tulsa linebacker. They ended up not getting in on, but um, they they're looking at a couple other guys there. Um, I. Th- Think. I'm not. I'm not sure if they're looking in the secondary at all. They might be looking to get like a depth piece in the secondary, but no, I don't think you need a starter there necessarily. Because um, I, I mean, the, this you're losing Anthony Johnson, which sucks, but you're getting you're getting a few guys back that you're you're fine. You feel probably pretty good at safety, um, and 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 corner, obviously, um, that whole group there. Um, so they'll probably get a, like a look at a guy for linebacker. Um, they might look at the defensive line. I think the defensive line's in pretty good shape. Um, for the most part, they, they need to go get an offensive lineman or two. I haven't seen any, I haven't seen any names thrown around that they're going after, but they need to go get an offensive lineman or two, I think. Um, but receiver isn't, isn't, is kind of the main one on offense. And I know they're looking at a, at a transfer running back as well. Um, so we'll see. I don't think they'll go after any quarterbacks. Well, I don't think, I mean, I look Hunter Decker's year one, you're going to have a new OC and I don't, he wasn't great. Um, but I don't think he was but the he, problem. The funny thing he is, was, he, he was, wasn't he the wasn't, problem. He, he wasn't as he wasn't as bad as people think he was. Um, he again, he, he, he yeah. wasn't the problem. You had a bad offensive line, yeah, and you and a had bad no run back, running back help, and you had Xavier Hutchinson and no one else to catch a pass. And so, yeah, look, yeah, no running game, no offensive line, bad scheme. It was 
We gonna... can we can make all the I can throw it over that mountain jokes we want about Hunter Deckers, but he wasn't the problem. I mean, I, I don't care no, how I good a quarterback you there, are. Well, and there was there was clear spots where he needed to make growth, but I think he did make some growth uh, later in the season uh, on some of those things that we were complaining about and that were like glaring, glaring issues early in the season. I think he made some made some steps forward. Now, this offseason, Joel Gordon is another. That's a guy that we have thought might be on the chopping block. Um, for a, a few reasons I can go into. Um, but um, that was, this is where he's got to make his money this off season is because one, you've got to get Hunter Deckers. You have to make, you have to make sure Hunter Deckers is improving both from reading, but reading the field and from technique and things like that. He's got to get better. He also has a damn, he's got a, a five-star adjacent quarterback, like a high four-star quarterback coming in that is probably going to push Hunter. Deckers. I don't think he's like, I don't think he's actually going to be like, I don't think he's got a real shot to start necessarily, but he is very talented. Like he's, he's really good. Um, and I think he's going to push Hunter, um, quite a bit. Yeah. That's uh that's JJ Cole for the JJ Cole. Uh, yeah. Who, sorry. Yeah. Uh, JJ Cole. Yeah. He's from Ankeny. His, his dad, Jamie Cole is, he, he was a kicker at Iowa state and actually is like, he's like the, like he's the dude. If colleges want a good kicker, they go talk to Jamie Cole. Uh, he runs kicking camps everywhere. Anyway, but anyways, actually funny, funny like thing there's is JJ is like he's like six six from like that, but he also punts for Ankeny. He averaged like sixty yards a punt. He's actually a really good punter. Um, so oh, the whole quarterback fun. gig doesn't work out. Yeah, I was gonna say I say fun, there's some there's some fun fake punt uh, stuff to be had there. Um, not that I think we'll ever do it because I don't think we'll ever run a fake punt ever under Matt Campbell. But why don't you just okay? So let's go to that joke for a minute. That would require Matt Campbell to run a, a, a special teams that while he decides it as <laughs> yeah. successful is actually successful. Look, like we, we've talked about this. We've tweeted about this. Iowa State special teams ratings based off football outsiders FBI. It's unbelievably bad. Every year has gotten worse from eighth in year one to I believe it finished at 114th this year. You know, you know why they finished eighth in that first year? Because that a whole bunch of Paul Rhodes guys that gave a shit. Because for all of Paul Rhodes' faults, Having bad special teams was not one of them. He always had good special teams units, always. And they, like, he, he yeah. And uh, he still had all those guys in 2016 and a little bit of 2017 that were really good special teams guys for Paul Rhodes. He had for, those. Here's the thing. For a guy who preaches winning in the margins and doing all the little things that matter. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the, uh, yeah. Uh, like, you you yeah. can't, you can't, and this has been my thing special with Special teams and margins. You can't tell me that that's what matters and sit here, describe it as use the word success and related to your special teams. And when everyone and their grandma can look at these ratings and go like, it's not it's even terrible. like, well, actually it's a hundred. You don't even have to look 100. at the ratings. You can look at the eye test. I'm like these special teams are poopy. Like there's nothing. There's like, like the punter, uh, Tyler Perkins was generally pretty good. Um, he was a freshman all American by a few different uh, outlets and stuff like that. He was, he, good. he was a pretty decent for a freshman punter. Everything else was horrible. Everything else was terrible. I guess the kickoff coverage isn't what unit wasn't like atrocious, but it wasn't good. Um, punt coverage, punt blocking, all of it was it was just horrendous. Um, actually, punt coverage was okay. Punt blocking I, was I, horrendous. I understand. Was terrible. What, like, I understand with ten on field coaches, you, it gets to a point where you something has to give, right? Look, Oklahoma yeah, State's got the same problem. Somewhere. But at some point, what you're doing 
isn't working. It's not and working. I, I know it's they brought working. in some former NFL analyst in. Yeah. He's already got, he already got fired. It's, it's, it still feels like trying to put a Band-Aid on, on the giant crack on the dam. Yes. It's lazy. At some point, does Matt Campbell going to actually take this issue seriously, or does he just not think that? I mean, at a certain point, does he just not think special teams matter? Or does I don't I don't and I don't mean that bad, but like <laughs> no, I know, the evidence is. Does, I know what you're saying? Like, it's is it is he going to decide that special teams is bad enough that they need a major course correction there? Um, I think he you, should have decided that a couple years ago. Honestly. When your special teams are that, I, I think, when I think you look at their their record in one score games outside of 2020 when they went four and two, like yep. when you again, it's the little things. Yep. It, it, one score games are one of those things that should even out over time, right? They they yep. should. He has been over 500 in one score games twice, four and two in 2020, three and two in 2018. Outside of that, every year is below 500, and the special teams yep. have been awful. Yep. I do think there is a correlation there. If you're going to tell me you're going to care about the margins, what does he need? Like well, what the does margins he need to do? is it's special teams. It's special teams. It's it's turnover. It's bad. It's bad penalties. Like Iowa State has been one of the least penalized teams in college football in the Matt Campbell era, but when they do get penalties, it's always at the worst possible time, and it's it's stuff like that. It's it's bad penalties when you don't need to be taking penalties, and it's special teams miscues and it's weird turnovers and shit like that. Like those are the margins. Objectively, those are the margins. Wait, if you're gonna, if you're gonna talk about the margins, those are easily the most definable margin, quote unquote, margins that you can win in, and. You know, they win and in the penalties part of it, they win in those margins in a lot of the times where it doesn't necessarily matter that much. When it comes down to a critical third down, it's third and two and they get a chance to keep the ball moving or they or the and, and drive down the field to get a winning score, and then they eat a false start penalty or they eat a holding penalty or some shit like that. Like you look at like the um the was it Texas Tech game? A Texas Tech game um in the first quarter, Hunter Deckers hit um hit Demetri Stanley like for like a beautiful, like a 26-yard post route, touchdown, call back for a holding. They get no points out of that entire drive. And it's just, it's just stuff like that. Like you can't you can't be doing that. And I like, I mean, Iowa State fielded one of the best defenses in college football this year. If the if the special teams was fine and the offense was fine, probably a nine or ten win football team because the defense was so good. Well. I'll, but they just I'll weren't. expect a 10 win Iowa State team when one actually exists. But your point is okay. Fine. You're a Kansas State fan now. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, but I mean, but I mean, really, there was only up up to the TCU game though. There was really only like one game, and the Baylor game is the one you would say like, well, that's the one they probably needed to like the offense needed to be like they needed they needed more than just one offensive possession to win that game. I mean, they won an absurd they lost an absurd amount of one score football games. With a decent offense and, and a half decent special teams, they, they probably were, win most or all of those. They were they were one in six in one score games this season. Yeah, and the, and the, and it's and it's that one score and a bunch of those came down to we had a drive late in the fourth quarter that all you needed to go down and do go down and do is get a touchdown and they couldn't do it because of a penalty or a weird or bad scheme or something like that. Like there was tons of times when that happened. Well, and. Campbell, I mean, look at you had seven one score games this year. You played in seven one score games last year. You played in Ugh. six the last two years. Iowa State, based off the style of play Matt Campbell wants to play, They're plays play in a games. lot of, of of close games. And this yep. is what's got to be. You have to have things. If, 
you have to have things buttoned up if you're going to win those. You if gotta. you're going to, yeah. And if you're going to play that style, why would you allow any any part of your of your team, uh, literally special teams, which is like a quarter of the game, to be that awful? And like this is the problem, Matt Campbell is at some point he's got to do enough self scouting and realization to say like, okay, this major issue has to change or things aren't going to change because I don't care how many you look at some of the players they've had at Iowa state during the streak and you've got one great year to show for it. And that's awesome. But there's enough disappointment now at this point, knowing what could have been for Iowa state that how do you not look at the faults and just say, we have to fix these things because you can't just expect them to not matter. Like you cannot treat them like they don't matter. And it's hard not to feel like that's what he does when that's, when you don't actually do something to fix them. I think one of the things that one it's, it's, it is both. It's, it's a Campbell is, can be loyal to a fault at times to his, to his guys and his team and stuff like that. Cause he, you know, when he puts those teams together, when he puts his staff together and stuff like that, he believes in all those guys and says, we're going to, we can do this. We're all aligned culturally. We can do this or whatever. So when you, it's, it's, it's hard to tear that apart when you think, especially even if things are going the right way, if you think you're all, if you're all aligned, you're all, you're all, you're all on the same page on what needs to be done, what needs to change and stuff like this. Sometimes it's hard to then say, okay, I know we're all pointed the right direction, but this still isn't working. And I got to pull certain pieces out of here. That's hard. That's it's hard to do. Um, and some, some people are better at doing that than others. Um, and did Campbell make this change maybe a year too late? I don't know. Maybe. I, but you know, it's. It, I think. I think what happened this year is that a lot of things kind of got exposed that weren't right. That weren't previously obvious. Like, God bless him, and shout out Brock Purdy. Now he's going to be the starting quarterback for the 49ers and he deserves every every damn snap he gets. Um, Brock Purdy may somehow have been underrated his whole career, and same with Brees Hall. Those, but Brees Hall, you know, Brock Purdy, Charlie Kohler, those guys we probably underrated how good and how valuable they were to that whole, to the whole thing, to making the whole thing work. I mean, Bruce Hall was so good at turning, like he didn't, he didn't need a great offensive line to be what he was as Bruce Hall or whatever. And Brock Purdy dealt with at times kind of a weird system and made it efficient, made it one of the best, you know, he made it a, made it a top 20, top 15 offense in college football, basically his entire career. You know, we like to make fun of Brock for some of the, like the, the crazy plays that, you know, the cr- unfortunate plays that happened to him, like the cheese at bowl fumble and the weird TCU backward thing or whatever. But like for the most part, Brock Purdy was extremely good at his job and he did a really good job of making that offense work when maybe it shouldn't have worked as well as it did. Um, but this year you have a new quarterback. You have some, you know, the offensive line isn't where it needs to be. You don't have Brees Hall. You know, that's not necessarily a knock on the existing running backs. It's not, it's not an insult to the to the current running backs to say you're not the best that's ever done it at this point in time. <laughs> like <laughs> and you know, like like Brace Hall was gonna be the NFL rookie of the year before he tore his ACL. I mean, he's unbelievably good at running back. Like, he's not mm-hmm. just good for college, he's a good NFL running back. And he, you know, when you don't have the greatest running back you've ever had, your greatest ever quarterback, your two best tight ends you've ever had, and the maybe the best receiver you've ever had, all on the same offense at the same time. When you don't have that, a lot of the things, a lot of things that are wrong with your scheme or what you're doing, they get exposed. And I think that's what happened this year. And I think they weren't, maybe they weren't quite ready for it. They did, or they themselves were a little bit blind to some of these faults or things that weren't quite right. 
because they had the luxury of having all these really seasoned veterans and really talented players to help cover up a lot of the faults in their scheme. So it, it's, it sucks because it all happened in one year and it hurts because it was a lot of band-aids to rip off all at once. Um, but I think, I, I think we do see though, that may, the special teams thing still needs to be addressed. I'm not sure what the hap, what has to happen there, you know, whether it's having an on-field coordinator, like a lot of schools have or whatever, you know, in the, the 10 team, the 10 coach, the 10 on-field coach limit, yet you have to sacrifice somewhere. Um, but, and I would say that's chosen to sacrifice a special teams coach. I don't know if it has to be that way or whatever, but um, the fact that he did get rid of strength conditioning, offensive line, and the offensive coordinator tells me, it does tell me that Matt Campbell is taking every, taking all of this very seriously. I mean, Tom Manning, Tom Manning, they played together at Mount Union. They've been, they've been together for like since day one. Um, since they both got to college, they've been together, whether playing or coaching. That's like he's worked with, he's worked or played with that guy for 20 years. That's a long time. I mean, that's like, that's like best friend, you know, best man at your wedding territory. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> that's it's hard to get rid of that. But he got, you know, he, and like, he got like, you know, we, he's shown a, an ability to make some hard decisions for the better, you know, that need to be made. And I think he did that. Now we're going to see, it's going to take, it's still going to take some time. Like Nate Shieldhaus is, I think he's exciting. I think he's going to be good. He's like 33 though. I mean, he's young. He's, he's really young. He's still got learning to do. They still got to figure out what the offensive line strength and conditioning coach. They still got to get the, all that together. And there's, you know, stuff that needs to get repaired there that maybe, maybe takes more than one off season to fix. Um, but I think the changes that have been made in the staff demonstrate an understanding that things need to change. It just sucks that it all had to become apparent and then happen in one season. I mean, and, and it one, bad, it, sometimes but, you'd rather have one than have to stretch it out over a long period of time. Right. Right. It's like, would so, you rather have like, you would rather like replace your offensive coordinator this year because you think that that's the problem. Well, then you see offense still sucks next year. Well, now you're changing your offensive line coach here and it's, and it's hard to establish any continuity when you're picking yeah. and doing this or whatever you address these problems that are all interconnected. Cause all these, all these things are interconnected. You know, you know, you have the offensive line that allows the running game to sort of to and the, and the quarterback to thrive, the quarterback, you know, and the scheme, the quarterback and the, um, and the, the, the offensive coordinator help the wide receivers thrive. And the same with the running back too. They, they all, they're all interconnected and they all work together. So by, instead of just piecemealing out the change by doing it all one and, and, and really replacing the whole system and, and getting together, you still have it. You still have a, a continuity piece there in Nate Shieldhaus uh, and Taylor Mauser, the, the tight ends coach and Joe Gordon, the quarterbacks coach, you still have some continuity there, but you can take those pieces that all interconnect and that all need to improve and you can you can formulate a staff them there based on one vision of how that needs to all look and how that all needs to interact and perform. So I, you know, it's it sucked that all these problems showed up in once in the same season and it, and it inhibited the offense so incredibly that it basically wasted the best defense in college football. You know, arguably arguably the best defense in college football. It sucks that it wasted that, but it is what it is. In the long run, they will. I would say it will be the better for it. This should be. Oh, I 100%. I 100% so, believe that they'll be better off for for making these changes. Well, you know, what what that what that looks like, I don't know, but we'll find out. Levi, as always, man, I uh, appreciate your time. Uh, you always give me plenty of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you so, said 20 minutes. I don't know where we're at. I know, but you know, more. 
uh Levi, <laughs> do me a favor uh the free content machine where where can uh where can everybody yeah. check out all the great work you do covering iowa state man yeah wide right natty light add wide at wide rt natty lt on twitter we got facebook twitter our discord channel uh all sorts of stuff there levi appreciate your time man thanks for having me i'm sam and i co-host the scott Holm podcast the known universe's first Houston Cougar Sports Podcast. Every week, even during the offseason, my co-host Dustin and I come on and talk everything current as it relates to the Cougs. And every so often, we'll bring on UH luminaries like Carl Lewis, Kellen Sampson, and a number of other fantastic Cougar voices. And as proud members of the 1012 Network, we also find the time to talk about our future conference and future opponents in the Big 12 as well. If all of that sounds even a little bit interesting to you, we would love it. If you subscribe to the Scott Holm Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere else you put podcasts in your ears. That's podcast spelled P-A-W-D cast because the two of us hosting the show are nothing if not big dorks. So thank you and go Cougs. From the Big 12 title game to 6-6, six and six, definitely call it a disappointing follow-up for Dave Aranda and Baylor this year in Waco. We've already seen coaching changes made, so this is going to be a school we have to talk about. It. Joining us is the cocaine bear of the 1012 Network. That is Matt Isbear of Between Two Bears. Matt, welcome back, man. Oh, man, you lied to me. This is a bait and switch. You said we were going to talk basketball and basketball only. That's what you told me. Oh, um, yeah, women's <laughs> basketball, right? There hey, you go. Something like that. Good news for Baylor. Hey. Big news for Baylor. Brittany Griner coming home. She's coming Huge home. News. It, it, yeah, it's, it's overall a good day, but it is time um, to have a bit of a uh, social reckoning for myself personally. After some of the lies I told, uh, it's it's time. It's time. What, what were some of these lies? Well, I Matt, think uh, what lies do you I don't know. I, I think I said this on Andy's pod. I think I said it a couple other places. I said, you know, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if this Baylor team goes like nine and three or eight and four. But to me, with the offensive line and the defensive line being what they are, yada, 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 new pieces, but they can be broken in, yada, 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 that it is more likely that this team goes 12 and 0 than it is like, I don't know, six and six. And boy, okay, that that didn't go the way I'd I had planned. Um, looks like some of those questions were not answered in the affirmative like I thought they were going to be. So it is what it is. Definitely not. Definitely not. And look, so let's let's start with the, the biggest news coming out is. We've now seen two Big 12 head coaches fire coordinators who they had very close personal relationships with. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Matt Campbell uh, relieving Tom Manning and and Dave Aranda at Baylor uh, firing defensive coordinator Ron Roberts, someone who was his mentor, who he's worked with and, and worked under for a long period of time. This is definitely not a move that I think anyone expected to see. Obviously, it was a disappointing season in Waco for Baylor, uh, but... To see Ron Roberts relieved there, how surprised were you by this move, and, and kind of what have you heard about it beyond just, you know, obviously they were unhappy with the defensive performance this year. Uh, so the the stuff I'm going to share is like at the rumor level. This is I have heard from people who have heard, who have probably heard from people who have heard. But if you if you had broken out the position coaches for both offense and defense, and you had 
you know, uh, asked yourself, okay, I'm, I'm going to check off the ones that I think might be at risk for losing their job. Um, the safeties coach who was also relieved of his duties would, would probably Absolutely. be one of those that I, I would not have been surprised by. Um, and he was, he was let go. Ron Roberts though. I, I don't know. I would have checked that box. I don't know that most people would have checked that box. Uh, but that that's what happened. I, I, I can't go as far as say that there was like a personality clash. I don't know that that was the case with Ron Roberts. I've heard that there was um, like differences in opinion in recruiting. And I, I did hear that the safeties coach like wasn't a big, you know, popular person in the locker room, but that's all rumor and conjecture. So who knows what the actual story is there. But if you just take the on-field results, safety play was not fantastic. Communication between the different defensive units was not fantastic. Most of the, the, the busted coverages and and broken plays that that Baylor gave up, you could clearly tell it was a communication issue between safeties and cornerbacks or uh, safeties and linebackers, and that that position just needed to be better. So that doesn't surprise me. The Ron Roberts piece surprises me, um, but Dave Aranda has shown he is not afraid to make a decision when it needs to be made, and he obviously felt it needed to be made. This defense definitely took a step back but a bigger step back than I think most people expected considering the talent that was still there. So it, it you know, it, it's surprising to a degree, but then you think about who Dave Rand is and wh- who he has shown himself to be as a decision maker. And I guess it tracks. Ronnie Wheat being fired, not surprising again. I think, I think the secondary was the weakest part of the defense last year uh, as well. And, and it, I don't think obviously they didn't get any better this year, especially not in pass coverage. And, Baylor special teams were middle of the pack Oof. last year with with Wheaton for charge of them. I think they were like 40th, if I remember from Football Outsiders. They were worse yeah. than Iowa State's this year. And we talk a lot about how bad Iowa State's special teams were. I didn't need to hear that. Baylor's I, I hadn't looked were, it up, were, and that doesn't make me happy, and I didn't need to hear it. But that that makes a lot of sense as to why there's change there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, and you're right. Look, we've seen through three seasons, Dave Aranda will make changes and, and doesn't drag things out and isn't worried about loyalty to individuals because it's, it, it is a business and business decisions have to be made uh, with Roberts out. Well, obviously um, we don't, have, we don't know who the next defensive coordinator is. It's going to be some time. I'm, I'm sure you have a, a list of candidates. I think number one on mine would, if you want to make the Wisconsin connection, as I'm sure you will as well. Jim Litter literally rubbing 12 my would hands be absolutely <laughs> maniacal smile, hands rubbing together. <laughs> Uh, Jim Leonard in the big 12 and look, we're, I'm not, this is not reporting. This is, if there was a hire, I would love to see Dave Aranda make. And I think there, every college football team in the country would love to see their head coach make as far as the DC would be Jim Leonard, but there is the Wisconsin connection there. And so I'm outside of Leonard who I think everyone would love to see, like what have you heard or what rumors are rumbling as far as who Aranda might bring in as a new DC? Um, I've only heard two names consistently. And and one is Jim Leonard that I've heard from multiple people that Baylor will make a run at him. Like they, they will have conversations if they're not already with Jim Leonard. The other name I've heard that I really like is Carl Scott. No idea if there's any interest there from Baylor. No idea if there's any progression there, but Carl Scott, who I believe is currently the passing game, like the passing game defensive uh, coordinator for the Seahawks, I believe at the moment. Um, uh, I, I would, I would like to see him there because a, a defensive coordinator with a focus on the pass game, I think makes more sense to me than a defensive coordinator only focused on the run game, um, which seemed to be the case. Baylor's run defense was, was pretty good most of the time. 
But I, I think in, in this particular era of football, in this particular conference with the quarterback talent and the wide receiver talent that's there, you need to be focused on the passing game because that's where Baylor got absolutely carved up a lot of the time. So um, I, I would be interested in those two names. Haven't heard anything consistent with any other names, but uh, it, look, if, if there's one thing that we know about like not only Mac Rhodes, but Dave Randa is that it, they are not afraid to go get a name that is outside of the common purview. So who knows who they're talking to? Yeah, Carl Scott, I mean, from Houston, Texas, coached the de- defensive backs at Texas Tech in 06, or 2016 and 2017. Uh, has coached at Alabama and Louisiana Tech as well, as far as uh, P5 and D1 in, in college football. Matt, obviously, you know, two defensive coaches relieved. But I don't think defense was the only reason that we saw Baylor finish at 6-6 six and six this year. Yeah. Where do you where do you see the biggest issues for this Baylor team or, or where were based off of kind of expectations as Baylor being preseason picked to finish number 1 in the Big 12 this year? Where do we where do you think people got it the most wrong? That's a really good I mean quarterback probably. I think that's where a lot of people didn't get it wrong but didn't get it right enough. Does, does that make sense, right? Like yeah, there yeah. were games uh, Iowa State Blake Shapen played really well. Um West Virginia ironically in a loss, Blake Shapen played pretty well with the exception of like, you know, I think one decision. He did leave with an injury. Um Kansas played really well. Texas Tech played really well. Oklahoma played played pretty well to a degree, right? Um and and even in the Texas game, like didn't play awful, right? So the quarterback play was fine, but I think this offensive staff probably leaned into utilizing that passing game more than they might have should might have should, you know, that common phrase. Um, Yeah. Might've should. So I don't know. That's the problem, right? Because you can look at the execution by the players at some points and say, that wasn't good enough. You can look at the play calling by that staff at some points and say, wow, they got too cute there. And but they never really lined up the 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 good pieces never really lined up at the same time. So it's hard to understand really what led to that. The the three point performance against Kansas State that was concerning. I, I don't know how you resolve that. You come back and you score twenty eight against TCU, and then you score twenty seven against Texas the week after, and it's just not good enough when your defense isn't elite. So this team has to figure out a way to either be elite on the ground and make that the identity or be elite in the passing game and make that your identity, or the ideal would be to finally mesh both, <laughs> right? And and make sure you're pressing the right buttons at the right time. I think the coaching staff is, is fully good enough to do that. It's just a matter of understanding personnel probably a little bit better, and hopefully development takes over. Maybe it's just a sophomore slump for Shapin. Maybe a quarterback comes in the portal. Who knows what the answer is there? But I think it's more tweaks and dials being turned rather than wholesale changes that need to happen. Yeah, I also think, you know, from a from a media side, I think we downplayed too much who Baylor lost after last year. Um, and I think we're so used to seeing a Big 12 champ kind of just fill those pieces in because most of the time it was Oklahoma. Um, and I think we need to get more used to really – looking at the teams each year and, and not expecting it to just, well, okay, who, who finished first last year? Well, let's pencil them at number one. Cause we liked what they did. And they you bring a few pieces back. I mean, I just don't think we give an almost, it's almost 
we should give Jalen Petrie more credit oh, for man. how much of a monster he was last year for Baylor, as opposed to like, well, they'll they'll figure that out. Like, no, it's really hard in the Big Twelve where you're not constantly recruiting blue chip players and you're developing them to replace somebody who is was that good and that vital to a team. And that's the thing in a vacuum, like there, there were individual defensive players, Lorando Johnson, Snacks Johnson being the the primary individual who tried to take over at that star position uh, for Jalen Petrie. He was, he was pretty good in the second half of the season. He, he wasn't terrible, um, but he wasn't Jalen Petrie. Right. And the safety play, we've talked about it. Losing JT Woods was a way bigger deal than we expected that JT Woods was fantastic in extremely clutch situations multiple times last season. And we just didn't have that playmaker in the back back end, uh, you know, like 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 we did the season before. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely downplayed it. We were so amped up as a fan base for, uh, you know, this dominant offensive line, which absolutely was dominant a lot of the time. This allegedly dominant defensive line, which did disappoint quite a bit. I mean, that's not something that a lot of people are, are talking about when they look at the season as a whole. They, they played well down the stretch but they they weren't good enough to to focus the entire defense on that and and to rely on them to give your very young secondary more cushion mm, yeah i i also feel like some of the schematic stuff was going to rely on on a much better pass rush and you know able to play a little bit softer coverage for longer and it just didn't work out that way so it's it was a lot of different things just being maybe a b minus or in some cases a C plus rather than a B plus or A minus or A, right? So it was just a, a gradual, none of the position groups really failed, maybe other than safeties, but they just weren't quite good enough. And Baylor won a lot of one score games, right? This season before this one. So uh, that that that's the difference right there. I mean, that's that's pretty much, we've talked about this, the difference in making the big total title game and not each year is who, who wins their one score games. And if you come out, above 500 there's a good shot you're going to be in arlington in in december and if you don't then you probably won't be um you talked about the portal a little bit so far baylor which is four entries not a whole lot josh fleek seth jones devin neal and uh, and kyron drones how we've seen aranda use the portal before we saw obviously heading into this year they got some very valuable pieces where do you see baylor in the portal this year, what position groups do you see where they're going to be utilizing the transfer portal to, to fill some holes for 2023? Uh, going to give you an if then statement here for you nerds out there. All right. So if Kyron drones does not recommit by whatever deadline you want to set for him, right? Because he has left it open to come back to Baylor. If he doesn't commit back to Baylor by a date, that's very near in the future, very near, then you have to go get a quarterback. Not necessarily to replace Blake Shapin, not necessarily to start immediately, but to have two quality quarterbacks on the roster, make that a competition, the best player wins, right? Dave Rand has shown that he will take the player he believes to be best. It does not matter what situation it is. Uh, I, I think we could have avoided the drones transfer had we played him more, but that's beside the point. So quarterback, I think definitely. I think you see if there is some receiver talent. Outside of that, offensive linemen, you always take as many offensive linemen as you can get. Um, so that that's it on the offensive side of the ball. I think running back is fine. I think wide receiver, for the most part, is fine. Tight end is fine. 
And then you look at the defense and I would say whatever four star plus defensive player is willing to come, you take them immediately. And you, it's an open competition for every single position, right? You're going to lose Siaki Ika almost assuredly. Um, and, and you need a, a, a big nose tackle if we're going to run that same scheme. But this also depends on the defensive coordinator too, right? What pieces does the defensive coordinator need or want? So I, I think that's up in the air still, but go get a quarterback, go get some defensive backs, and I'll be happy, right? Everything else would be um, icing, uh, but that's that's the stuff I need. I need a quarterback. I need defensive players. Yeah, uh, secondary seems like a spot where, given what we saw this year from Baylor, yep. bringing in a few players who you feel like can immediately contribute, if not take a starting spot, um, would be big for Baylor. Um, we talk a lot about the bowl games. Obviously, Baylor will be going to the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl against Air Force. I don't know how to root for Baylor and root against the U.S. military, so I'm not sure how I feel about this. Um, but, you know, again, we, we talk about this. You cannot overstate the importance of bowl practice. Uh, yep. I, I think it's very valuable. I think it's the most important thing as far as the football program goes, other than just making the bowl and being excited about playing one more game. What do you hope from this bowl practice for Baylor to see? Like, what, what would you go into? Because it's not like the regular season. It, it's it's almost a bit of, yeah, we're preparing for the bowl game, but you're almost kind of preparing some things ahead of spring practice to figure some stuff out. If you're a coach standing next to Aranda and evaluating practice heading into the bowl game, what are some things you're looking for as far as trying to determine heading into finalizing the recruiting class, looking at the transfer portal and heading into spring with these practices you have? A question I was not expecting, but surprisingly, very specific answers popped into my head immediately. Um, <laughs> for Blake Shapin, footwork, footwork, footwork. Go figure out what's going wrong on some of those weird deliveries, some of those high throws, work on it. Secondary, screen recognition and run support, right? Also communication with the other players on the team, <laughs> right? So safeties, communication, uh, defensive backs run support. Other than that, I'm, you know, there's a lot of other stuff to happen as well. And then linebackers, I, I don't know enough about the position to get real specific there, but I, I would, I would say, you know, honestly, just making sure that you recognize what's happening in front of you, because there were some times where the edge just wasn't set because not because of athletic ability, just because of recognition of the play. So who knows how that actually gets applied? That's why coaches are coaches, and I'm just a guy who talked on the internet with uh, with another guy on the internet. But that's that's what I would mostly focus on. Uh, outside of that, I really think a lot of it is game situation play calling and executing of those high leverage play calls. Right? There are times where the play call was just flat out bad, but there are also times in a third or fourth down that Baylor really needed where the execution wasn't there. By, on the player side, the play call was fine, but it wasn't executed. So high leverage situation practice as well. Those would be the areas that I would focus on. I really wouldn't worry about anything else, honestly, which is probably why I wouldn't be a good football coach, but that's beside the point. <laughs> I don't know, Matt, you'd be all right. Uh, like, yeah, like the middle nice... school level, because that's, a, that's, a, that's yeah. about, that's where I peaked probably in my, in my football career. Yeah. I'd say so. Is that coaching or just child wrangling? Oh, just child wrangling, probably. Yeah, I'm not. I, I, yeah. Although middle schoolers are mean, I don't want to coach middle schoolers. I maybe a low level high school. Give me a freshman team. I'll work with them. Yeah, middle schoolers. It's like they, they, they find them very mean. Just mean kids. Yeah, I don't look forward to that age group uh, when my girls get there. 
Matt, as always, appreciate your time, man. I know you're a busy fella. Uh, are you excited for the bowl game or is it just like, hey, cool, we're going to a bowl? Uh, I'm always curious when you have a disappointing season but still make a bowl game, how how the fan base kind of views that. I'm glad you asked. I am usually a positive person to a fault, optimistic to a fault. I am finding it difficult to get excited about this bowl game, but maybe, just maybe, now that I have atoned for my lies, maybe I can put all of that behind me, set aside the expectations I had six months ago, and get to a point where I'm excited about Baylor playing in yet another football game, and remember the times when Baylor was not playing a postseason game. So that is something that I need to internalize. This is about me. I think that's the important part here uh, is that I need to work on myself and be excited about this because yes. um, Is it the ideal bowl game for us? No. Should I still be excited and and, um, appreciative that Baylor gets a postseason appearance? Yes. So I'm working on it. Okay. It's not that long ago that, that the idea of Baylor playing in a bowl game was um, laughable. Yeah. No joke. Uh, be sure to tell Evan not to make too many insults at the Air Force. I'm not sure that's the, the hating on the on the armed forces. We just recorded. Luckily, we did not berate the troops. My boss is actually former Air Force, and I have <laughs> I just today opened up the can of worms of like, did you know Air Force is one in four in the Armed Forces Bowl? Anyway, gotta go. Bye. And I just logged off the call. <laughs> um, I think he took that well, actually. So we'll see how this progresses from a professional standpoint for me over the next couple of weeks. Matt, I, I know you're a busy man and you do a lot to cover the Baylor Bears. Do me a favor, plug it all everywhere. Everyone can check out all the work you do. Cover, oh, Lord. everything there in the wake up. I, I just collected people that do that much better than I could. Uh, Our Daily Bears, we... You know, a uh, lot of smart, really funny people there that bring me ideas, and I just go okay, and uh, then they go execute on them. But really good people over there, of course. Between two bears, Evan A. Bear and myself, uh, like I said, we just recorded Baylor basketball season, getting into full swing here. So talked about the Baylor Gonzaga game and some stuff related to that. But um, it, and then if you're really for some reason interested, at Matt is Bear on Twitter, a very specific life choice is kind of my tagline there. Uh, but if you want to, you can follow me there as well. Yeah, I would suggest everyone do it all, Baylor fan or not. Matt, again, appreciate it, bud, and uh, can't wait to hear the next episode. My pleasure. More lies on the way. Podcast Network.